our reading. I've extended a little bit. I've taken from the message version to a very short otherwise. So uh, this is the message version of the area that we're going to be focusing on. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and yelled out, Here he is, God's Passover lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. This is the man I've been talking about. The one who comes after me, but really is ahead of me. I knew nothing about who he was. Only this, that my task has been to get Israel ready to recognize him as God revealing. That is why I came here baptizing you all together. Giving you a good path and scrubbing sins from your life so that we can get a fresh start with God. Once again, I pour out my life for the sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us. But especially because you did it because you know my heart and each and every one of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you came down to this earth, knowing that you would be the Lamb of God for each and every one of us. Amen. Look, says John, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That, according to John's Gospel, was the way that John the Baptist identified Jesus to his disciples. Or as the message translation puts it, Jesus is God's Passover Lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. The basic idea, quite clearly, is that we are invited to see Jesus' death as a sacrifice that deals with sin. That's why he's described as the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. But there is a problem for anyone who's pedantic or fastidious about getting things right. And that is that however carefully you search through the Old Testament, you don't find a lamb being sacrificed as a sin offering. That's quite a surprise actually, because we're used to the idea that you know, Jesus is the lamb who's offered his life as a sin offering to take away the sin of the world, but it doesn't happen. You get lambs being sacrificed as burnt offerings by the thousands. They get sacrificed as fellowship offerings, even as guilt offerings, but only when it comes to cleansing a leper from their disease, which is quite bizarre because they're not guilty of anything. But in the Old Testament, basically, you didn't sacrifice a lamb to deal with sin. It didn't happen. That may be why the Passover translation chooses to identify Jesus as the Passover lamb. And there are elements of the story of the Passover lamb and the account of Jesus dying. He's sentenced to death at the hour when the Passover lamb is being sacrificed in John's Gospel. And like the Passover lamb, none of his bones were broken when he died. But the word used to refer to Jesus as a lamb in John's Gospel is not the same word that's used to the Passover lamb in Exodus. And... The Passover lamb wasn't sacrificed to deal with sin. <coughs> Taking away the sin of the world. That sounds a bit like the ritual on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would have two goats. One would be sacrificed as a sin offering for all the people. And then he would confess the sins of the nation over the head of the other goat and send it away into the wilderness. And in a very visible and powerful way, people would see this goat taking away their sins, disappearing out of sight. It was carrying their sins away from them. This sacrificial, uh, sacrificial animal was, in a very symbolic sense, 
taking their sin away. And generally, the priest would make sure it didn't wander back into the camp at some later stage by pushing it over the edge of a cliff. It was gone for good. But it was a goat, not a lamb. And actually, when it came to sin offerings, it was usually a goat or a bull that was offered, not a lamb. So should St. John have said, look, there's the goat that takes away the sin of the world. It doesn't have quite the same resonance, does it? Lambs somehow have this kind of innocent, vulnerable air about them. Whereas goats, no disrespect to goats, but they are ugly, stubborn creatures, aren't they? And not cute at all. Aesthetically, the goat who takes away the sin of the world really doesn't quite have the same resonance with us. So where does John get this idea that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world if there's no Old Testament precedent for it? Was he careless? Didn't he know his Old Testament properly? I suspect he deliberately spoke of Jesus in a way that transcended all known categories of sacrificial animal. So that Jesus and his death encompasses a lot. The point is not that Jesus was a sin offering. He's not just the Passover lamb. He didn't take away the sin of the world like a goat wandering off into the wilderness on the Day of Atonement. He didn't just offer up his life as a total sacrifice to God like a burnt offering. He did a lot. All of it combined and summed up comprehensively in his death on the cross. He is all the Old Testament sacrifices rolled into one. He fulfills everything. And so in his death he comprehensively deals with the sin of the world once and for all. And in a culture that was used to the idea of an animal being offered as a sacrifice to bring about divine atonement for human sin, John is, John is saying, God has atoned for your sin. God has dealt with it once and for all through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You don't need to bring some kind of sacrifice you don't need to try and atone for your sin or make up for what you've done because you can't. And you don't need to anyway. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By dying on the cross, he's dealt with your sin. He's dealt with mine. Did God need a bloody sacrifice before he is prepared to forgive people's sins? Is it written into the fabric of the universe that if a sin has been committed, someone or something has to die before that sin can be atoned for and forgiven? Well, it sounds a bit primitive somehow. God is the one who takes away our sin. God is the one who forgives our wickedness and rebellion. And he does so because he is compassionate. Because he is gracious. Because he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is the God who revealed himself as this God to Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34. Sacrifice, that's really the mechanism that God chose to adopt for the benefit of his people. The blood represents life. There is something sacred about blood. Therefore it has the power to atone for sin. The lifeblood of a sacrifice atones for the life of a sinner. And the guilty person who brought a sacrificial animal to the priest would see the priest accept the animal. The animal would be killed. 
its blood poured out at the base of the altar, and the simple person would know, my sin has been dealt with. It's gone. It's cleansed. I'm forgiven. I'm not condemned anymore. The death of the animal and the pouring out of its lifeblood were vivid signs that sin had been atoned for, that the person was forgiven and free with nothing held against them. And in a similar way, Jesus, as the Lamb of God, means that he is the sign and the guarantee that whatever sins lurk in your past, whatever sins lurk in your past, Jesus has dealt with them. He's taken them away from you. He's dealt with your guilt. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God does not hold your history against you in any way. And it's a powerful and liberating message for those of us who tend to beat ourselves up over our failures and our inadequacies. Still might seem a bit strange for John to point at a human being and say, look, there's the Lamb of God. Yet in Isaiah 53 we see a prophecy that the servant of the Lord would take this role upon himself. The servant is led like a lamb to the slaughter. Like a sheep before the shearers is done, the servant doesn't open his mouth. The servant suffers and is crushed. The Lord makes his life a guilt offering and he bears the iniquity and sin of many other people. This in Isaiah 53, this is an innocent individual suffering and dying to deal with the sins of others. And when you read Isaiah 53 without the New Testament, who the servant is is far from clear. But when you read the New Testament and you read about Jesus, it's clear that he fulfills this role. He stays silent before his accusers, like a sheep before the shearers is done. He pours out his life. He bears the iniquity and the sin of many. Does this mean that God requires some kind of human sacrifice to deal with human sin? Not a bit. God makes it abundantly clear that the very idea of such a thing is abhorrent to him. But when you read the New Testament, the secret of who the servant is is finally revealed. In Jesus, this is God himself. Coming in the person of his son to serve us and to save us. To take our sin and its consequences upon himself. To redeem us and bring us out of death into life. It is the son of God who is the lamb of God. There's no innocent third party involved here. There's no scapegoat. This is God laying down his life for us in the death of his son. This is God taking your sin upon himself, bearing it upon the cross, burying it in the tomb, and taking it away from you once and for all, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That means your sin has been dealt with. Sometimes people say or think I can never, ever forgive myself for what I've done. It's a terrible thing to be trapped in guilt like that. The weight of it can be too much to bear. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, 
has borne it for you. That's why the promise is there in Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we own up to what we've done, if we accept responsibility for it before God, God forgives. God releases. God cleanses. God restores. And if God forgives you, that means that what you have done is not unforgivable. It can be forgiven, and it has been forgiven by God. And God wants you to bring, to bring you to the point where you can forgive yourself. He holds nothing against you. Whatever condemnation might be due to you, Christ has taken it. Whatever punishment you feel might be due to you, Christ has taken it. Whatever guilt you feel, Christ has taken it. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let Jesus take the burden of guilt away and set you free from the past. That's why he came. That's why he died. And if Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world... That also means, of course, that he is the one who forgives those who have sinned against you. He's taken their sin, too. And sometimes we say, or we think, I can never forgive so-and-so for what they did to me, or to somebody else. But if God can forgive them, we need to seek the grace to forgive as well. It's immeasurably hard, of course. Especially if the person who has wronged you refuses to accept responsibility for what they've done. And let's recognise there are some very manipulative people around there who spend their lives foisting their own guilt on other people. But Jesus says, let me take that. Let me carry that burden. I died for them as well. Let me release you from the hold that their sin has over your life and bring you to the point where you can let it go and walk away. He wants to set us free. And he is uniquely qualified to do that because he bore their sin and your pain and suffering on the cross because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and today he wants to take your sin. The sin you've committed. He wants to take the sins that have been committed against you. And give you in their place. His love. His peace. His forgiveness. It's why he came. It's what makes him our saviour. That's why we worship him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here on this table, we see, symbolise, in bread and wine, Jesus dying for us. His body broken. His blood shed. All our sins placed on him. Like the big burden that we carry. Transferred to his shoulders.
He says, let me carry the guilt. Let me carry the sin. Let me carry the blame. It's why he died. And that's why we remember him in this way, at this table. The Lamb of God who takes your sin and mine. Can I invite the deacons who are serving communion to come and join me from the platform, please? On the night that he's betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to those who were with him and said, Take this and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <coughs> and after that evening, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to this table conscious of our own inadequacy, of our own failings, the ways in which we have let you and others down, the things about ourselves that nobody else knows and of which we are ashamed, but you know, and you welcome us. Thank you that whatever troubles us, you died to deal with that. Release us from the burden of guilt and shame. Pour into our impoverished hearts your love, your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you that this is the place where we are accepted for who we are with our failures. Because you are gracious and merciful. And Jesus, you came down and laid down your life to take our sin and set us free. So thank you for this bread, which reminds us of how your body was broken. Thank you that this wine reminds us of how your blood was shed. Thank you that here we find forgiveness and salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for being the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Amen. 
There is no one here this morning for whom Jesus did not die. And if you are putting your faith, however weak that might be, in him, then he invites you to share in this bread and in this wine. Because in receiving the bread, you say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for being my Saviour and Lord. And you might not be able to put that into words. But just eating the bread is an expression of trust. And that's all he looks for. If you'd rather let the bread and wine go by, do that without being embarrassed in any way. There's no compulsion to take part. But there is a warm invitation to all of you from Jesus who gave his life for you to eat the bread and drink the wine, recognising that these represent the way in which he died for you and can express your faith in him. So the body of Christ was given for you. If you wish to eat the bread, we do so as we receive.
After they'd eaten, Jesus took the cup and said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we recognise our need of forgiveness, we recognise that God's grace brings us that forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If we receive the cup, we keep it so that we can drink together. The blood of Christ poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins.
blood of Christ has poured out for you. Thanks be to God. Amen. cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing together in the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not a sharing together in the body of Christ? So we who are many are one body because we all share in one bread. We spend a few moments of prayer for members of the body of Christ who need God's presence or God's grace. You may wish to mention the names of people out loud, just to commend them in love and in prayer to Christ as their Lord and Saviour. But we pray for other members of the fellowship as we gather around the Lord's table. Lord, you died to carry our sins, our sicknesses, our burdens, our griefs, our sorrows and our death. We commend these dear friends to your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you to join together in the words of the response on the screen? In gratitude for this moment, this meal, and for each other, we give ourselves to you. Take us out to live as changed people, because we have shared the living bread and cannot remain the same. Ask much of us, enable much by us, encourage many through us, so Lord may we live to your glory both as inhabitants of earth and citizens of the commonwealth of heaven. Amen. The first morning communion of the year is the time when we dedicate those who are deacons to God and commend them to God in prayer. So can I invite all deacons to join me on the platform, please? Thank you.
These are the people whom God has called to work as servant leaders among you. They will work for you and with you in the cause of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, will you support them with your love, with your prayers, with your encouragement? And do you pledge yourselves to work alongside them and with each other for Christ in this coming year? If so, would you please answer, we do. We do. Thank you. And to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me ask you, will you carry out the ministry to which you've been called with enthusiasm and with dedication? Will you live your own lives as disciples? And will you seek to disciple others in this church and in our community? If so, you know what to say. Brilliant, thank you. Michael's going to come and lead us in prayer. For you as deacons. Thank you, Michael. Our loving God, we want to thank you that you call us into your service. Thank you that you save us and that you call us to serve, to serve you and to serve one another. So Lord, we pray that for those that you have called to be deacons, you've called through your people to this work of service. We pray that you will bless them. And that you will make them to be a blessing to others. We pray that you would pour out your grace upon them and through them. We ask that you would strengthen them and guide them. Give them wisdom and understanding. Lord, we pray that you would build them up. Enable them to build others up. And we ask that your name would be glorified through their ministry as individuals and their ministry together, along with Tim and myself and along with your people here gathered. We ask that you would bring about your kingdom and your purposes in our community, in our lives, amongst family and friends. And we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. So fill us each afresh. Fill these who are called to serve in this way, but fill each one of us who are called to serve you and serve one another, and ask that you would enable us and equip us, encourage us and embolden us as we seek you, as we seek to be your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.